0: Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now.
1: Well, hello, power partners, and welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. We are so glad that you have joined with us today to celebrate. This is our party time, and as always, we are here to help you be the best that you can possibly be and hopefully learn from some of the experts. The miracle moment for today is uh, brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity, Uh, and we want you to go to the website. Be the starur.org and make a donation so that not only can we keep the shows going on the air, but that we can do fire relief and book reviews and all the other outreach programs that we have going. So uh, please consider it because it, you're going to be doing a very, very good thing. This is from Albert Einstein. Look deep into nature, and then you will understand everything better. Well, that is kind of a hint for our show today. Coming up in segment three, we're going to be talking about nature's natives, because uh, nature's natives uh, means all the different plants that you can plant that are endemic and native to our country, and they're usually the ones that are going to be more fire safe and uh, use less water, etc. so we will talk about that. First, coming up in segment two, a very exciting new book called Rendezvous. With the fat man, and it is about a young woman in the 1970s who lived a double life a 22 year old actress, stunt woman who fled Hollywood rat race, moved to the island of Ibiza off the coast of Spain, and after a party changed her life forever. She started living a double life and became a cocaine smuggler. We will talk with talent agent and sister of uh, Jan Sherman. We'll talk with Gail Sherman-Jones with her new book, Rendezvous with the Fat Man, and it is a true story. But right now, mega music star Taylor Swift is turning 30 this year. And she had shared thoughts and lessons that she's learned because she says that this year is the year for sharing and caring. And I found that what she had to say so interesting that I wanted to share it with our listeners. So first of all, I'm not going to share all of them, but I'm going to share as many as possible. The, one, the first one that she knocked off was she has learned to block out the noise. Social media, she said, can be great, but it can also inundate your brain with images of what you are not, how you're failing, who's cooler than you at any given moment. And, you know, it's just sort of a weird insecurity that you start getting in your, your, in your laser beam. So she says, let's knock off some of the social media. I thought that was a very good one. Number two, being sweet to everyone all the time can get you into a lot of trouble. While it may be born from having been raised to be a polite young lady, it can contribute to some of life's worst regrets if someone takes advantage of the trait. So what her advice is, grow a background, trust your gut, know when to strike back, be like a snake, and only bite if someone steps on you. And we're going to hear more about that in Rendezvous with the Fat Man. The third one, trying and failing and trying again and failing again is normal. It may not feel normal because all the trials and failures are blown out of proportion. But with that said, it's good to mess up and learn from it because that means you're taking risks. And it's good to do it while you're young, the younger the better, because you will learn and grow from it. The fourth one, learn to stop hating every ounce of fat on your body. She says that she worked hard to retrain her brain, that a little extra weight means curves, shinier hair, and more energy because so many of us push the boundaries of dieting and take it so far that it's dangerous. Remember that there is no quick fix, so work on accepting your body every day. The fifth one, banish the drama. Oh, boy, is that a good one. You only have so much room in your life and so much energy To give to those in need of it. So be discerning. And if someone in your life is hurting you or draining you, maybe it's better to block their number. It's not being cruel. It's being, it's saving yourself. So make sure to try to do that. The sixth. She's learned that society is constantly sending very loud messages to women that exhibiting the physical signs of aging is the worst thing that can happen to us, and these messages tell women that we aren't allowed to age. It's an impossible standard to meet, and she has been outspoken about this. So what she says is, you know, just live with yourself because everlasting youth isn't ever required of men, and there's no such thing as that anyway. Uh, Another one, she learned not to let outside opinions establish the value she placed on her own life choices. For too long, the projected opinions of strangers affected how she viewed her relationships. And whether it was the general Internet consensus of who would be the right person for her or what they thought was a couple's goal based on a picture she posted on Instagram, This stuff wasn't real, and for an approval seeker like she is, it was an important lesson to learn to own your own value system. What do you really want? Then go for it. Uh, She also uh, says that apologizing when you've hurt someone who really matters to you takes nothing away from you. Even if it's unintentional, it's so easy just to apologize and move on, and don't say, I'm sorry, but... I've said that many times on this show, is get rid of the buts, right, and the should's and the could'ves and the would'ves. Don't make excuses for yourself. Just learn how to make a sincere apology, and you can avoid breaking down the trust in your friendships and relationships. And another note on that is, you know, when you apologize, people really can't be very angry anymore. What else are they going to say? Then uh, third, another one that she has, it's actually number 13, It's her opinion that in cases of sexual assault, she always believes the victim. Coming forward is an agonizing thing to go through, and she knows because her own personal sexual assault trial was a demoralizing, awful experience. She she says that she believes victims because she knows firsthand about the shame and the stigma that comes with raising your hand and saying, This is what happened to me. It's something that no one wants to choose for themselves. We speak up because we have to, and out of fear that it could happen to someone else if we don't. And I think that's a very important one that uh, that she's, she shares. So uh, Taylor goes on, when tragedy strikes someone you know in a way you've never dealt with before, it's okay to say you don't know what to say. Sometimes just saying you're so sorry is all someone wants to hear. It's okay not to have any helpful advice to give them. You don't have to have all the answers. However, it's not okay to disappear from their life in their darkest hour. Your support is all someone needs when they're at their lowest point. Even if you can't really help the situation, it's nice for them to know that you would if you could. And I know that one from personal experience. You know, sometimes you just have to be there And there's nothing you can do, but just by being there and sharing their sadness, that helps a lot. Another one, playing mind games is for the chase. In a real relationship or friendship, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you don't tell the other person how you feel and what could be done to fix any problems. No one is a mind reader. And if someone really loves you, they want you to verbalize how you feel. And this is real life. It's not chess. Learning the difference between lifelong friendships and situationships. I love that word she made up. Something about we're in our young 20s, hurls people together into groups that can feel like your chosen family. And maybe they will be there for the, with you for the rest of your life, or maybe they'll just be your comrades for an important phrase, uh, but not forever. It's sad, but sometimes when you grow, you outgrow relationships. You may, lay me, You may leave behind friendships along the way, But you're always going to keep the memories. And that's something I learned a long time ago. Uh, People come into our lives at different times of our lives for different reasons. And it's okay to let go when the reason is over. And the 21st note of hers is fashion is all about playful experimentation. If you don't look back at pictures of some of your old looks and cringe, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) How to fight fair with the ones you love? Well, chances are you're not trying to hurt the person you love, and they aren't trying to hurt you. So if you can wind the tension of an argument down to a conversation about where the other person's coming from, There's a greater chance you can remove the shame of losing a fight for one of you and the ego boost of the one who won the fight. I know a couple who in the thick of a fight will say, hey, same team. That's a kind of a cool thing, I think. Find a way to diffuse the anger that can spiral out of control and make you lose sight of the good things you've built together. They don't have to give awards for winning, but most fights in your relationship they just give out divorce papers. How true that is. Uh, number 24, I've had to learn how to handle serious illness in my family. Both of my parents have had cancer, and my mom is now fighting her battle. It's taught me that there are real problems, and then there's everything else. My mom's cancer is a real problem. I used to be so anxious about daily up and downs, and now I give all of my worry, stress, and prayers to real problems now. And for me, just putting in my two cents, I really agree with her there. There's, we have to be grateful every day for everything we have and not worry about the things that we don't have. And understand that, you know, the job you didn't get or the, um, the car that uh, ran out of gas, those are just minimal problems. So just remember there are bigger ones out there. The 25th is, she remembers people asking, what are you going to write about if you ever get happy? Well, there's a common misconception that artists have to be miserable in order to make good art. Finding happiness and inspiration at the same time has been really cool. Another one, I learned that disarming someone's petty bullying can be as simple as learning to laugh. In my experience, I've come to see that bullies want to be feared And taken seriously. So it would be nice if we get an apology from people who bully us. But maybe all we're ever going to get is the satisfaction of knowing that you can survive it. And thrive in spite of it. Very good advice. And the final one I'll leave you with is... Uh, Taylor says, my mom always tells me that when I was a little kid, she never had to punish me for being misbehaving because I would punish myself even worse. I'd lock myself in my room and I couldn't forgive myself. And that was as a five-year-old. I realized that I do the same thing now when I feel I've made a mistake, whether it's self-imposed exile or silencing myself and isolating. I've come to realize that I need to be able to forgive myself for making the wrong choices, trusting the wrong person, or figuratively failing and falling on my face in front of everyone. Advice? Step into the daylight and let it go. And I just want to uh, finish this segment by saying I think those three words are, are some of the best words I was ever taught many years ago, and that is to let it go <laughs> because sometimes we just can't control any of the situations and we might be angry but if we can let it go it is quite okay and then everything just seems to work out for the best well you're listening to Cynthia Bryan this is star style be the star you are we're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the empowerment channel. We want where we want you to soar to heights that you haven't been before, we also are brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity that empowers women, families, and youth. Make sure to visit the website be the star you And then while you're there, you can pick up um, any of the copies of my two new books, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating the gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world and growing with the Goddess Gardener, as well as six other books that are there. 100% of the proceeds will benefit Be the Star You Are. And so that is always a great contribution. Well, when we come back from break, we are going to have a fascinating conversation with Gail Sherman-Jones She's a talent agent, and she is the author of an incredible true story called Rendezvous with the Fat Man that actually happens to be the story of her younger sister. So stay with me. Don't go away. In fact, turn up the volume and call your friends and tell them to tune in because you're going to really enjoy this segment. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Star Style Be the Star You Are. Stay right there. I'll be right back. Be the
2: star you are The star you are
1: Follow us
3: on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment
0: Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event.
1: Well, my gratitude to you all for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan. I am your personal growth host and coach here, and I love bringing you the pioneers on the planet who are making a difference and bringing us books that can make us think and change the world. Well, my guest for today is special to me. Her name is Gail Sherman Jones. She is a talent agent, and was actually uh, worked. Uh, I worked with her as a, as talent for uh, several years, and she has now become an author. and her, her new book is called "Rendezvous with the Fat Man," which is an incredible. True epic story about her younger sister, who was leading a double life, and the double life is rather exciting. Welcome, Gail, to well, Star- Thank you Star- for inviting Star- me, Cynthia. So yeah. uh, it's so nice to be on your show. Well, I'm really excited. It's like tables have turned, and I'm so happy that that you're here. And now, congratulations on writing a book. But the interesting thing about when I was reading "Rendezvous with the Fat Men." Is how you came to write this book. Why don't you give us a little bit of the backstory of your sister, uh, Jan Leslie Sherman, and how you found this manuscript that you have now turned into a book?
3: Yes. Well, unfortunately, my sister died um, in January 2013. And they found her body in her condo on the toilet and she, they that don't know how many days she had death been ever. dead. It I,
1: was a sad. You story. know what, Dale, when I read that I just I, I I like wanted to cry. I mean, that has to be the worst death to die alone on the toilet. You know,
3: I mean. Exactly. And they don't even know how long she'd been dead. The neighbors uh, had seen newspapers piling up in front of her condo, and uh, they called the manager, and he tried to get in touch with her by cell phone and knocking on the door and got no response. So they called the police, and of course, when they entered, they found her. So they called my mother, and she in turn called me, and we were absolutely devastated. But, um unfortunately, in the latter part of her life, she became an alcoholic, and, um you know, they found an empty bottle of wine at her feet, and when they did the autopsy, they found that uh, not only did she have heart disease and um, she had bleeding in her stomach, but it was all aggravated by alcohol. So, that kind of confirmed what we'd been thinking for years, because she never would admit that she was... A drinker. Uh, she was a secret drinker, and she was one of those that was a functioning alcoholic, you know. She could um, get by while drinking, but in the back of your mind, you kind of thought maybe she was, because sometimes she'd slur her words, but she'd always deny it. So my um, mother had called me to, uh, of course, give me the bad news, and I went down and saw her a couple of months later to go through my sister's estate items, and so I brought them back with me to where I live in uh, the Monterey Bay, Salinas area, and um, I was listening to some of the DVDs that she had in one of her boxes that I was bringing up, and uh, it was kind of reflections on her life. And when I was listening to her voice, it felt like she had come back to life, and she was sharing with me her thoughts and her reflections about what she'd done and and how maybe she could have done things differently. So then in the box also, I found a manuscript, uh, Rendezvous with the Fat Man, and I thought that it must have been an autobiography of some sort, and so the minute I got home, I brought that box out of the house and immediately That was the box that was
1: marked that important, box. right Gail? There was a box marked important. All yeah, her boxes. It was the box right. marked
3: important and important. my mother had right. put her ashes in there and there were also photos and her passports and stacks of letters and so on and I had purposely put it on the front seat of of the car but after I'd finished listening to her DVDs I was just devastated because she had admitted that she had always been tired of living in my shadow as the older sister, and unfortunately, my parents had um, used me as an example for her to live up to, and which is not a good thing for a parent to do no. at any time, but they didn't realize that it was going to affect her psychologically later in life. In fact, well, up until the day she died, she always harbored a resentment towards me because she was annoyed that... You know, uh, my parents had always compared her with me, and, and she could never do enough to make them happy or get rid of that uh, thought in their mind.
1: You intimated in your, in your book, Rendezvous with the Fat Man, you intimated yes. that the trip around the world that you took with your parents and grandmother... Where she was not invited to come because she was two years younger and she still had school that that was sort of like the the I guess the straw that broke the camel's back. Exactly. do you think that do you now, feel because that that's- we
3: all tried to uh, before my mother passed away three years ago and my younger sister we all tried to psychoanalyze my sister and wondered where did she take that? you know, that different path in life away from our family. And we all concluded that it was when in the 1960s, in 1964, I'd just graduated from high school. And um, my family had planned a trip around the world. So my sister wanted to go as well. But she was still in high school. And um, my parents thought it would be a great opportunity for me to visit my pen pals who I used to write to in those days around the world. And uh, I put off going to college just so I could go on this trip with my mother and father and my grandmother. And my grandmother had never traveled on a plane and never been out of the United States. So that was the, we, we determined was the thing that made her want to prove to my parents that if she couldn't go on that trip around the world, then she was going to travel and show them that she could do it on her own and they wouldn't have to pay for it. Unfortunately, her beginnings of her travels um, led her to the path of uh, moving to Ibiza, Spain. She had formerly been an actress in Hollywood because I went away to college in 1966 to San Jose State and she um, did acting in movies and in commercials and stunt work and so on and she got so tired of the rat race in Hollywood that she decided that it was time to make that trip out of the United States, and, um, which she'd always wanted to do anyways. And she moved to the island of Ibiza after traveling around Europe in the Middle East, and uh, she met a girl at a party, a friend of hers and her friend uh, at this party, which was the one incident that got her involved in drug smuggling. Her friend wanted her suggested that maybe it would be fun if they could go to South America and for a small investment around six thousand dollars they could buy some cocaine and bring it back to a beach of Spain and um, you know and make some get profits. rich. And,
1: I'm sorry. So and well, they wanted to get rich. It sounds like she was very much motivated by money. She wanted to have a lot of money so she could keep traveling and not. Uh, ask your parents for money. But I, what I found so interesting is that this double life she lived that she told everyone that she was a writer and photojournalist and she had these cameras, you know, that right. she would take with her. Did everybody believe her? Did, did she ever publish anything? Well, the, my parents saw
3: her photographs and she said she was a freelance photojournalist. Um, she set up her own studio in her home when she... Uh, Was home and not uh, doing drug smuggles. She uh, would also sell them to stock photo studios and to um, you know sell them in art galleries and things like that. So that was enough proof to my parents that she was doing what she said she was doing. But uh, Jan was caught up. You know, this was the 1970s. She she drug smuggled from 1972 to 1980, and this was the time when there were. Lacks um, uh, enforcement at airports for security. There were no, you know, sniffing dogs or um, electronic equipment in those days, and women could just hide the cocaine in their bras or in their boots or underwear, or whatever, and get away with it. So, well, um, and also
1: the interesting she, thing she to me that you was, that you di- that you put in the book was the fact that she ha she would say she lost her passport and she would get multiple passports because she didn 't want to have a stamp from Bolivia because that would be right. suspect. She even had passports under different names i mean oh. those were the days before nine eleven for sure exactly and I mean it was pretty she was
3: very um clever Savvy. in how she was able to avoid getting detected at the customs um, uh, at the airport, because uh, like you said, she would have uh one pass well she'd always get to have two passports with her, unbeknownst to the um, passport agency. uh one was a real passport, and it would be stamped when she'd go to uh, Argentina and then when she went to Bolivia, she'd pull out the other passport, but that isn't the one that she would use when she came home because when passports were stamped from Bolivia. That was kind of a red flag that hmm, maybe we should check this person because yes. a lot of cocaine comes from Bolivia. But she well, was let's
1: talk about a- her rendezvous with Papi um, El Gordo, the fat man, because you know, first of all, she meets a Bolivian di- uh, bl- diplomat who mm-hmm. helps her score. But then there's like riots going on. She she was able to live through so many things just by her gut, as you say. She exactly. was a kick ass. A kick-ass chick with balls who followed her I know. own
3: God. I didn't know if we could I, say that on the radio, but...
1: Well, no, she, I... Um, What's
3: so it amazing out. is that... I don't know uh, what it was, but on our very first trip, the girl that was supposed to she was supposed to be going with, the uh, the girl she met in Ibiza, ended up not going. So Jan said, well, I'm still going to go anyways. I already planned for this. And she had, you know put some finances together and borrowed some money. And she says, well, I'm going, you know, she was young. She was 22 years old. Uh, and, and you know how we like, are in early 20s. Fall. We think we're, uh, you know, uh, brave and nothing's going to happen to us. Right. Uh, we're Invincible. fearless. And so the first night she gets there, she fortuitously meets a Bolivian diplomat, Moises, in the elevator. And um very handsome striking looks this fellow and uh he they start chatting in, in the elevator and and he asks her what she's doing and she says she's writing a book about cocaine and he of course his eyes perk up and he's saying well why and she had first flown to Paraguay first cuz people had told her to go to Asuncion because the discotheques there um were filled with lots of rich guys and that's where they bought the cocaine and you, she figured well if, if that's where people buy it then that could be uh, you know a good start and you maybe you could find the connections uh for the people who sold it to those who in the in the discotheques but um so he said well you should come to Bolivia you know that I'm that's my country that's we have more cocaine plants in Bolivia than anywhere else in South America, and he said that uh, if she would do a story about tourism and uh, uh, about life in Bolivia as a writer, that he said the Bolivian government would pay for her trip to Bolivia because she said that was well, like I, so.
1: No, that I, was so amazing, wasn't? I mean, it was. She really. She really hit the jackpot there. I know, I know. And so he he says, well, I've
3: got to go to a conference in Argentina, so I can't go uh, with you to my country, to Bolivia, but um, I'll I'll pay for you to fly to to Santa Cruz, Bolivia, and uh, you can take some photos of our country and get a feel for the people. So she said, fine, I'll fly there, and then I'll meet you the next day in La Paz. And so just... um, also, by chance, she um, had met a taxi driver who had brought her from the airport to her hotel room, and and she was out walking on the streets with a map. And he sees her again, and he says, "Well, let me give you a tour of the city." And so, as soon as he found out she was doing something for the Bolivian government, he got very, um, you know, uh, interested in helping her out. But then she asked him the, the ultimate question: "Where can I?" Where can I get cocaine? I mean, where's he the just cocaine? Came right out yeah, and said it, and he took her to meet um, uh, the connection that he knew in the very um, downtrodden parts of the city. So she was really taking her life in her hands by going by the guidance of a taxi driver to a place mm-hmm. that she wasn't, you know, familiar with in a country
1: she'd never been. And so yeah, I want to ask you something, because you actually um, taught Spanish, you know, and in fact, your agency is called Talent Plus Los Latinos. You represent uh, Latino people. Hmm. Did you grow up speaking Spanish? Because she spoke Spanish as well, right? She at least was conversant in Spanish. Well, she was, you know,
3: had learned it in school, uh, such as I did. I had learned it that was my major in high school and in college and I was a Spanish teacher um and that was what my degree in Spanish was but uh no she she wasn't as fluent as I was so uh luckily the people that she was dealing with spoke enough she spoke enough Spanish to get by and her connection in Bolivia Poppy the fat man was um also spoke English for his American customers so that was uh, also to her benefit.
1: But they. So I um, want to ask you, Gail. Is you know in in what her manuscript that she had written? Did she write more things about Pepe? Because it seems that he really actually looked out for her. He trusted her. She was safe when she was around him. But then at the very last deal that she did with him, she uh, she actually listened to his girlfriend you know, supposedly because she was a feminist. I was wondering about that. What What was your gut feeling on that? Well, the thing is, you know,
3: she, I think that he might have had, from what I could understand from, uh, you know, reading her manuscript, the, I got the sense that he maybe had a, a crush on her, perhaps, and maybe uh-huh. uh, almost a mentor, relationship and wanted to look out for her because he knew she was traveling alone. Um, He may have been tough with the male clients that he had, but he was very um, uh, paternal towards her or right. He was good to her, I guess I should say. And, um, and she likewise trusted him for taking care of her. But when she found out later on through some of the last, the last, I think it was the last smuggle she was on. She uh, had talked to his girlfriend, and and she had mentioned that she was thinking of leaving Poppy. Leaving because- him. We gotten a little violent with her, and my sister obviously didn't believe in that kind of treatment of women, so right.
1: she opted... Well, to I want to jump system around system. a little bit because we don't have a whole lot of time, Gail, okay. but if for listeners who are just joining us, the book is called Rendezvous with the Fat Man. It's a true story of Jan Sherman, and the author is Gail Sherman-Jones, and Jan Sherman is on the authorship, too, because this was her story. Uh, right. Jan looks so much like Allie to to me. It really? was when I'm looking interesting. At
3: these- you know, many people tell me, and one thing that's unique about this book, and I've been, the feedback I've been getting from people about the book is, has really blown me away. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I was writing this book over four years. I was editing what my sister had written. Plus, I decided to add the dynamic of my relationship with her because people were always asking me when they read the you know, the, the the raw manuscript. Well, what made your sister tick? What? Why did she do right. what she did? What motivated her? And I said, you know, I really don't know. Don't know. So I went through all of her letters, over 100 letters, and hand-wrote each one uh, as if uh, I was there with her, and I was internalizing every word and imagining every place she'd been and every person she'd met. And it really helped me uh, continue to... Finalized this book Um, and I added her death at the end as well as an introduction about why I was writing this book and I was wanting to uh, have this book to me is Jan's Lasting Memoir for Posterity Mm -hmm. and it's a tribute to my sister and I wanted to help her achieve that legacy because she died alone she was estranged from our family, and she had no children or friends at the end of her life. There was no memorial service nor
1: obituary notice published in the newspaper. In other words, there was she no had nothing. To she just life. disappeared. Well, you know, in her exploits as a cocaine smuggler, she escaped death a few times. I mean, she had other yeah. mules or people with her uh, killed, and she actually witnessed some of this. But again, she always trusted her gut, and somehow she was able to survive these illicit activities, and what she netted over a half million dollars, which would be two million dollars in today's money. Now, right, right. How, and What um, did she do? You know, a couple of things that I felt, and we only have a couple more minutes left, but as a mother... I was devastated at the point when she had to tell your parents what she did because the police were coming for her in Hawaii and she needed to get out of town. And, um, and you know, I, I could just feel their pain of what did we do and how did we fail and all of that. So was this, was this ever rectified with your parents or did they always feel this terrible loss of their daughter?
3: Well, believe it or not, that chapter, which is the second to the last chapter before right. um, we put the, the the chapter of her death in there, I didn't know that my parents had helped my sister escape from the from Oahu, from the from Honolulu until three years ago when I was writing the book. Nobody ever told me about this. Uh My parents never told me. My younger sister never told me. So here was another secret within a secret of our family. So your family really has some dysfunctional moments in their family uh, situation. But it was uh, a very enlightening moment dealing with writing this book because I I learned so much about my sister. I learned things that my parents had done for her that I wasn't even aware of. And uh, my parents, of course, um, had to, in, well, my parents, I have to admit, maybe had a little shade in them, and they wanted to help my sister. They didn't feel that, you know, as long as she didn't murder somebody, uh, didn't harm people physically.
1: Um, well, they even that involved They were going to sister. help her
3: get off the island and yeah. let everything lay low.
1: But they I guess even involved
3: your really younger sister to find out what happened. But it was just—it um, it was just well, a, the whole thing about yeah. my sister's life was was crazy. I didn't really know my sister. Now, did you? All the time uh, Gail, I moved away from family, home and uh, did you really know that she know was a drug smuggler?
1: Did you know that she was a cocaine smuggler, or not until not until you um, until I read her manuscript? Her manuscript. Wow. That's my, an amazing thing to go through your entire life. They and her what, did what did she
3: do? She confessed to them, do but they never told me. They never told me a thing. So
1: okay.
3: um, what did
1: she do after she quit being a smuggler and then, you know, had to live another life? Did she do anything or did she just live off well, of obviously her life?
3: kind of spiraled out of control after uh, she decided to retire from drug smuggling, mainly, too, because her personality had changed. She had been a very um, bright, vivacious, um, um, energetic. She had a a wonderful sense of, of adventure. But after 10 years of drug smuggling, and sampling cocaine every day, her right. personality her changed, changed. paranoid and egotistical. And um, so once you stop doing something as what she was doing, which was, uh, you know, getting uh, a thrill, just being able to walk out of an airport, knowing you've gotten through customs, and you've 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 made it with you, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cocaine, and the high right. you get from that, I I'm sure must have been incredible for her, and she must have really tripped on it. But yeah, and with, there's nothing you know, more and, after and, and, that. And it well, allowed her to travel around the world. But then when you have a mundane life afterwards, and you try to, she refused to do a nine-to-five job, so she right. tried different bad. adventures, and they well, didn't succeed. Well,
1: Gail, we are out of time. Am I, I want to give um, listeners your the website if you want to visit talentplusloslatinos.com, or you also said that people can contact you by phone. Do you yes, want to give out the phone number? I know that's number? really
3: unusual, but it's the same in my business. I don't like people emailing me just to right. ask a so question you, or you to talk like to email. me. Um, they can call me at 831-AREA-CODE-443-5542, and that's in Salinas, California, Pacific Standard uh, uh, Time for right. uh, on the West so Coast when they're calling.
1: 443 5542 the name yes. of the book is Rendezvous with the Fat Man. It is it's by Jan Lester and, Sherman and Gail Sherman-Jones. And hopefully this is going to be made into a movie because well, it, the, it the stories in there interest. are absolutely, they're, if, if they weren't true, they would be <laughs> an incredible fiction. So, Gail, I'm so glad that you uh, took the, the time to write this, today. but how tragic to find out about your sister only after her death, and very sad not to have had that relationship, but you've honored her now by creating this book and manuscript and telling her story and including all these photos that she took.
3: Right. There's 68 color and black and white photos at the end of the book, which is kind of like a cast of characters, the scene of the crime, so to speak, and also shows you samples of her fantastic photography. And that was my my whole intention so that people could see that, you know, she really was a great photographer and, uh, and, you know, captured some incredible uh, sights around the world.
1: Right, right. Well, I want to thank you, Gail, for being here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Again, the name of the book is Rendezvous with the Fat Man. An Incredible true true story. Gail Sherman-Jones is the author. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And we'll be right back with some nature's natives. Don't go away. Be the
2: star you
1: are.
0: Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: Stories must make a point or create dialogue. Your story's point may be obvious. Perhaps, though, you want your story to be discussed further. If so, conceal your point just a little bit. And then when the point's discovered during dialogue people will own the point and the story. Start telling your story to gain gain trust, inspire action, and communicate your authentic message. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profit. I'm Cynthia Bryan from StarStyle with another business bite. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com That's Cynthia Bryan, Bryan with an R, dot com. Be
2: the star you The star you are be the star you
0: are the star you are the annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over 225 billion dollars help increase literacy reduce violence and improve positive media messages by making a tax deductible contribution to be the star you are charity a top-rated nonprofit Be the star you dot O-R-G. Dare to care. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryant. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling
1: out. Well, here we are again, and we're going to be talking about nature's natives. Well, Witness from Outer Space this spring, everybody heard about that pageant of splendor burst into blooms on hillsides, fields, chaparrales. And the desert environs, it was called the Supervlooms of Southern California, and it captivated the hearts and cameras. And Northern California, too, was exhibiting a bountiful season of blue lupins and orange poppies and gardens filled with flowers, just not to the degree of the neighbors to the south. Now, although weeds are described as plants growing where we don't want them, weeds are in proliferation about our around all of our areas because it's been continually wet. Now, wild cut leaf geranium, it resembles a ground cover when it's small, it has tiny pink petals, yet it's a weed that needs to be pulled before it scatters seeds. Hand removal of invasive grasses is also necessary because they create fire danger while out competing native flora for light, water, space, and food. Now, what many people don't know is that there are more than 18,000 plant species that are native to the United States, and approximately 6,000 species are actually native to California. Now, to be considered a true California native, the plants must have grown here before the late 18th century when the Europeans arrived. Our state flower, the California poppy, as well as lupins, fuchsias, and other natives were actually first cultivated in the gardens of Europe, yet we have adopted them as our own. We are blessed to grow numerous flora inhabitants from the Mediterranean that have acclimated to our mild poor seasons and adapted to our clay soils. I term these friends, such as lavender and acanthus, the new natives because I like to include them in all of my garden designs. Now, natives are drought tolerant after they have been established, although they obviously require water when the weather's been exceptionally dry. They are wildlife attractors, and they bring songbirds, lizards, salamanders, butterflies, frogs, hummingbirds, bees, and other pollinators into the landscape. Minimal maintenance is required without dependence on pesticides or fertilizers. All you gotta do is do some top dressing with mulch to maintain a constant temperature, which will also reduce erosion. And the temperature fluctuations is very advantageous. Now, for year-round interest, What you want to do if you want to plant a native garden is to select a variety of natives that bloom during each of the 12 months. Wildflowers are fussy as transplants. Therefore, for a spring show, sow seeds in the fall to allow the winter water to promote a strong root system. Plants with tiny seeds can live dormant in the underground seed bank for 80 years or more, which is amazing. You know, before they'll actually sprout. So they might just depend on the optimum conditions that coach them above ground to flower, fruit and set seed. And some of those optimum conditions actually happen to be wildfire, which is, you know, something that we actually don't want. So I'll here are a few of the California natives that are trees and grasses that you may have or you may want to incorporate. Oak, western redbud, redwood, sequoia, pine, cypress, cedar, fir, yew, willow, alder, aspen, sycamore, blue-eyed grass, sedges, rushes, fescue, ryegrass, and wild rye. Now, with those, just remember that some of those are very fire-prone, like the pines and the cypress, so you want to be very careful with them. Um, redwood is also a very fire-prone when it's young. But when it's older, it's, it is, um, it's, it's actually a really good tree. Now, some shrubs and plants that are great are manzanita, Sianthos, which is a California lilac, sage, currant, fern, lupin, columbine, California poppy, Huchera, Dicentra, uh, Blue dicks, Brodeas, Morning Glory, Clarkia, Wild Rose, Wild Grape, Clematis, Wood Strawberry, and the Fried Eggplant, which I love. And of course, then there's many others that are just native perennials to the United States, like milkweed and echinacea and blue-eyed Susan and Butterfly Weed dogwood, iris, etc. And these are just a few of the thousands of natives that you can discover at your own nursery as well as a large variety of succulents and cactus. But it's important to remember that every plant is native to some place. So when choosing a species, you want to make sure it will grow well in your microclimate. And because natives have adapted to our land, they're not going to struggle for survival. They're really strong players and they require less work, water, food, and they'll work in harmony with our ecosystem. So they're very adventurous to any garden because they are going to support the bees and butterflies and birds and bring beneficial insects and pollinators to our landscape. For more information, pick up a copy of Growing with the Goddess Gardener. Growing with the Goddess Gardener, that is the first book in a series of nine that I wrote this past year all on gardening. You can find any of my books at cynthiabryan.com forward slash online store well thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing us into your life every week make sure you're tuned to Star Style Be The Star You Are every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific we are live on the Voice American Network and listen to Express Yourself Teen Radio on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific for more information about Be The Star You Are charity and how you can support the good work that all our volunteers do. Please visit be thestaryouare.org, be thestaryouare.org, or if you can't remember that, just do the letters b t s y a.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse and motivate See beyond your physical being and know you already are the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week. I call it A Garden in Your Pocket. Pick up a copy of Rendezvous with the Fat Man by Gail Sherman-Jones. It really is a, a fascinating, true story. So until we celebrate next week, remember, love always wins. Kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. Imagine your dreams as if they already exist. Speak as if they already exist, and go out into life and get what you want of it, because this is not a test. You've already run the race. So I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. I am thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are be your unapologetically authentic best self. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be together again next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Thank you so much for joining me. Make it a great, great week.
2: Be the star you are. The star you are.